down. And as you sit, you might like to turn back uh, in your service order to that uh, reading that Carolyn just read for us, uh, Luke chapter 5. If you prefer to turn a Bible open, then you'll see there page 1032 in the church Bibles as we look at this together. And I'm going to pray for us, uh, asking that God would help us to understand the Bible now as we look at it together. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that in it you tell us about yourself. And we pray now you would help us to understand it so that we know more about Jesus and so we know how to respond to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was about 12 years ago now that I met one of the bravest and most courageous people I am ever likely to meet. His name is Anthony. I got to know him when he and his mum had started attending a Bible study that I led for people looking into Christianity. There's nothing extraordinary about that. But Anthony is an amazing man. He has multiple sclerosis and even 12 years ago this degenerative disease had left him considerably disabled. He was in a wheelchair with no use in his legs and minimal use of his arms. His eyesight was beginning to fail and his speech was very slow. What an exceptional man he was though, indeed is. I never heard him complain even though life had dealt him a pretty duff hand. He had a great sense of humour and I got to know him, as I got to know him, I got to know a... uh, an intelligent, kind and thoughtful man. But the depth of the man was revealed to me when speaking of his illness, he said this, You know, Paul, I'm glad this has happened to me because it took this illness for me to see what life is really all about. He went on to tell me that before he was diagnosed with MS, he thought only about himself. He had little concern for anyone else. And he said, I'd never given Jesus Christ a second thought, not until I got ill. Contracting this illness was the only way I'd have ever thought about Jesus Christ. And if that wasn't amazing enough, he then said these words, I'm glad this has happened to me. Well, it is an amazing thing to say. If anyone has cause to be angry with God, Anthony does. Yet he came to quite a quite different conclusion. I wonder how that is possible. Well, as we look at this uh, Bible passage that we had read earlier for us in Luke chapter 5, In this Bible passage, we'll meet another man who only met Jesus Christ because of his physical disability. In his case, it was his paralysis. And as we look at this astonishing story this morning, Jesus Christ asks us, what do you think is your greatest need? What do you need more than anything in the world? And as we look at this story, we're asked to take a really good, honest look at ourselves I had to chuckle when uh, someone showed me a letter in the Daily Telegraph. It was written by a Tony Rigby from Buckinghamshire and it reads this. Sir, you report that Barclays Bank is being forced to review its onerous identification requirements. This brings back a happy memory from my days with Barclays Bank when, as a cashier, I had to ask an elderly customer if she could identify herself. She rummaged in her handbag, produced a mirror and said, yes, young man, that is definitely me. (laughs) He adds, I cashed her cheque. <laughs> well, as, as we look at this passage, we'll find Jesus asking us, can you identify yourself? It's as if as we hold the passage up like a mirror, it says, do you know who you really are? And therefore, do you know your greatest need in life? As we join the story, people have flocked to see Jesus, indeed, to hear Jesus. Uh, some of those who wanted to see him were the top theologians from all over the country. Do you see it there in verse 17 at the beginning of our passage? One day he was teaching 
Pharisees and teachers of the law, who'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea, were sitting there. As we read on, it seems not just the great theologians of the day, but the whole town had turned out to see Jesus. Jesus was teaching them in a house, and while this huge crowd were listening to Jesus, Luke tells us that there were a group of men desperate to get their paralysed friend to hear and see Jesus. Look at verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Can you picture the scene? Do you see what's going on? These men were desperate to get their paralysed friend to Jesus, to be healed by Jesus. You see, they'd heard so much about him. He was not only a brilliant teacher and people wanted to come and hear that, but he had done the most amazing miracles. They believed that he could be the answer to this, their friend's great problem. Now, if you've been into the Middle East, you'll um, know that many houses have flat roofs with steps outside uh, leading up to the roof. So the four men carried their friend onto the roof and promptly set about making a hole in the roof. Who knows what the owner thought? But picture now the scene inside the house. Jesus teaching a capacity crowd, people hanging on his every word. When all of a sudden, a scratching noise and then banging from above, the roof beginning to fall in. Suddenly, all eyes were on the ceiling. And as the hole in the roof got bigger and bigger and the light began to stream in, the scene resembled something from a Steven Spielberg movie as this paralysed man descended from the sky. People shuffled back. And the man was lowered to a place at Jesus' feet. Well, after the initial gasps from the crowd, there was, I'm sure, a hush in the room. All eyes now on Jesus. What would he say? What would he do? You could hear a pin drop. Jesus looked down at the paralysed man. The man looked up at Jesus. And verse 20, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Sorry? What did you say, Jesus? Your sins are forgiven? What on earth has that got to do with anything? What a huge disappointment. It is clear what this man needed. He needed his legs to be healed. And here's Jesus going on about sins being forgiven. We'd expect the man to reply, Jesus, never mind my sins. What about my pins? (laughs) Jesus, you've missed the point. Here you are, supposed to be this great prophet and teacher. But you don't have to be Einstein to know what this man really needs. It is a remarkable moment. Doesn't Jesus know what this man wants? Do we have to conclude that Jesus is only human after all? Is this the biggest mistake Jesus ever made? Well, no, quite the opposite. Jesus knows what he's doing all right. Jesus knows that whatever it looks like, this man's greatest need is that he has his sin forgiven. Now let me say that again. Whatever it looks like, this man's greatest need is that he has his sins forgiven. Now please, that is not to say that his paralysis was not a huge problem for him. That is not to belittle the struggles he undoubtedly had in life because his legs didn't work. And it's not to say that Jesus was not interested in the man's physical condition. But still, Jesus knew that his greatest need was to have his sin forgiven. And that's not because this man was an especially bad man. No, it's because everyone's greatest need is to be forgiven. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that is our greatest need too, yours and mine. It is our greatest need because before Jesus, you and I are sinners, every one of us, and that is a very serious condition. Now let me stop here for a moment and take a step back. Most people I speak to get very edgy these days when we begin to talk about sin. Not the sort of word we want to start using in polite conversation. Many people misunderstand what sin is. When I say your greatest need is to have your sin forgiven, when I say that you are a sinful person, I'm not making a character judgment on you. I'm not saying you're an especially bad person or that you're a social dropout. I'm not saying that you're sexually perverse or financially crooked. This is not character assassination or defamation, but it is very serious. Because a sinful person is a person who says no to God Almighty. Someone who doesn't want God to rule over them. We may believe in God, we may even say our prayers, we may be religious, but we are all still sinners. Before I became a vicar, I used to work in the newspaper business. And uh, like any other uh, guy in his 20s, I had huge ambition. I wanted to climb the corporate ladder. And the next rung on the ladder was my boss's job. I used to imagine having his job and his company BMW and his office. Oh, it was a huge office with huge kudos. From time to time, I imagined being the newspaper sales and promotions manager, occupying that office and sitting in the magnificent swivel chair behind the boss's huge desk. I wanted his job. Not that I'd have ever told him that. He was a scary boss. Bob Priddle was his name. P-R-I-D-D-L-E, Priddle. You didn't mess with Mr. Priddle and you didn't make jokes about his name either. I hope he's not here, by the way. Can't see him. So, of course, I never told him that I had an eye on his job and his car and his office. But one day, at the end of the day, when everyone except the cleaners had gone home, I had to drop a report onto Mr. Priddle's desk so that he'd have it first thing in the morning. As I did, I found myself with the opportunity to try out the office, to give the chair a a test drive. And so I did. I sat down behind the desk, and to be sure that I really felt the part, I decided to pick up the telephone and and make a call to a mate. And as the telephone rang, I, I, I threw my feet up onto the desk, and at precisely the moment that my friend picked up the telephone, Mr. Priddle walked into the office. Oh, said I. Why aren't you at home? On reflection, I realised I was in no position to be asking him questions, even though I was sitting in the boss's chair. And I think it was then that I decided it was time that I became a vicar. (laughs) Or maybe it was then that he decided it was time I became a vicar, but either way, it was a horrible moment. Now, if that was bad for me, and it was, can you imagine how bad it will be one day when you discover that there you are, bold as brass and as large as life, sitting in God's place, on God's throne. And as he walks in, we realise that all our lives we have assumed his position. Can you imagine what the living God will think of you and me? You see, it's just not right. I am not the moral judge of the universe. I did not create the world. I am not God. And so to sit in his seat, to go around making up the rules, to run my life my way, that is sin. And if I can only begin to grasp how bad this is, then I will begin to see that whatever else is going on in my life, 
My greatest need is that I'm forgiven for living my life that way, without God, ignoring him. And it is the greatest need because one day it will have huge, dire consequences when I meet him face to face. But look, I know as I say that, it's very hard to persuade you of this. I think of friends of mine. If I was to ask them, what is your greatest need? Having just been made redundant, one of my friends might say that her greatest need is to find a job to pay the mortgage. That's no small thing. I think of another friend who would openly say that his greatest need is to repair his marriage. Very important. Another could say that her greatest need is to be healed of leukaemia. It's a life and death issue for her. A job, money, a relationship, good health, all huge and important things. And I so do not want to belittle the needs of these my friends. Of course I don't, they are my friends. But still the greatest need, whatever our struggles, is the forgiveness of our sin because that lasts for eternity. I think of a widow I met some years ago. I met her just days after her husband had died. I'd been asked to take the funeral. I'll never forget the crushing disappointment on her face as she said to me, we've saved all our lives for our retirement. Bert worked hard all his life so that we could retire to our dream cottage in the Cotswolds. We were so looking forward to moving there. And what was so tragic was that she said those words just one week after Bert had retired. So having spent all his life working and living for his dream, a cottage in the Cotswolds, just one week after his retirement, Bert wasn't in the garden of his dream cottage. He was now standing before the living God. Standing before the creator of all things. The one who had given him life. The one from whom all good things had come in his life. He was standing before the living God. And what was so tragic was he'd barely given the living God a second thought throughout the whole of his life. Our greatest need is to have made our peace with the living God. To be able to stand before him one day and to hear from Jesus the words that we've read here in verse 20. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know what's brought you here this morning. We're thrilled you've come, whatever it is. For whatever reason you've come, it's great you've come here. It might be like the paralysed man that friends have dragged you here. They've been nagging you to come to church for years and you finally decided to come. Maybe just to try and shut them up. Or maybe like the man in the story, you've come to Jesus hoping he can deal with a very real need. Whether it's physical or emotional. Well, whatever it is, Jesus says your greatest need is to be forgiven. I read this book a few years ago, um, the biography of Jonathan Edwards, the, the triple jumper. Despite retiring from competition, he is still the world record holder for the event. Jonathan Edwards, as some of you will know, is a Christian. Of course, he made a big splash in the newspapers before he was uh, really famous in not wanting to jump on a Sunday. Uh, he's a Christian. Another friend of his, Chris Akabusi, another UK athlete who's also retired now, is also a Christian. And in this book, um, uh, it tells about their, their friendship. Uh, listen to how Chris Akabusi describes why he began to think about Jesus Christ. It, it actually happened through the death of newborn twins. Chris Akabusi says, We lost the babies on the 5th of November 1985, a date I'll never forget. And the biographer goes on, The couple already had a baby daughter. 
But the death of his, instant, of his infant children caused Akabusi more than grief. They made a spiritually profound impact on him. Akabusi says this, It was a catalyst to get me thinking about the great things in life. Prior to having the twins, I was happy-go-lucky. Nothing fazed me. Life was all, go on, enjoy yourself. Sometimes, sadly, it takes real tragedy for us to think about eternity. I wonder if you're here and basically you're just like Chris Akabusi was. Life is all, go on, enjoy yourself. Life is good. Well, I'm pleased it is. But will you this morning think about eternity? Of course, if you're young and healthy with your whole life before you, death seems miles away for you. And even if everything is not going well for you, if, as it wasn't for the paralysed man in our story, uh, you, the problem of your sin will not seem like the most important thing for you. And if that's you, then very simply this morning, there is a clash of worldviews going on. Jesus is saying, on the one hand, there is a God who is going to judge you, and on the other hand, you're saying, no, there's not. And I'm asking you this morning, what is reality? Who is right? Uh, you or, or Jesus? You see, if there is a God who's going to judge you, then Jesus is right, and he indeed is right about this, that your greatest need is that you are forgiven your sin. That's why Jesus said to this paralysed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. For goodness sake, he'd come before him with his legs needing to be healed. The paralysed man would not have realised it at the time, but uh, I wonder, let's ask him what he thinks now, shall we? You see, there were two amazing things that happened to that man that day. One, Jesus forgave him his sin. And second, later on at the end of the story, Jesus healed his legs. Now just imagine if we could ask the angels in heaven to let this man come and be with us this morning and tell us his memories of that incredible day. I wonder what he'd say. Would it go something like this? It's wonderful to be with you here this morning. Oh yes, I remember that day very well. My friends persuaded me that I should go and see Jesus. We'd heard all about the things Jesus was doing and the things that he was teaching. When we got there, there were so many who had been to see him. The crowds were so dense and I told my friends to, to take me home. But they wouldn't take no for an answer. They were very persistent. I couldn't believe it when they took me up on the roof. They started to dig a hole through the roof. And then I nearly died of embarrassment when they lowered me down through the roof. And then it all seemed a waste of time when Jesus looked at me and said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. My heart sank. I thought to myself, you're supposed to be a prophet. You should know I've come to have my legs healed. It's all this about sins forgiven. Now, then there was a discussion between Jesus and the, and the religious leaders of the day. And before I knew it, Jesus said to me, Get up, take your mat and go home. And as he spoke, I felt all the power coming back into my legs. Instantly, I jumped up and ran out of the place. No one could believe it. I certainly couldn't. But it was true. I could walk. And what a difference that made to my life. For the next 40 years, I lived a normal life. I got a job, got married, had a wonderful family and not a day went by when I wasn't profoundly grateful to Jesus that he'd healed my legs that day. But now, oh now I've been with Jesus for 2,000 years in heaven and that makes my life on earth pale into insignificance. Now I know the most important thing that Jesus did for me on that day was to forgive my sin because that lasts forever, for eternity. 
Is that what he'd say? Well, I don't know, but I think it'd be something like that. And you see, when you put things in the light of eternity, then we realise that Jesus knows that our greatest need is to be forgiven. Question, do you believe him? And here's another question, why should you believe him? How do you know that Jesus can deliver? Apart from Jesus and the man who was healed, the other main characters in our story are the religious elite, the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And if Jesus' words in verse 20 were a disappointment to us and to that man, they made the theologians furious. Just look at verse 20. Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does Jesus think he is forgiving sins? He can't speak like that. Verse 21, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, of course, they're right. Sin is pushing God out, sitting on his throne. Sin is an offence against God. So, verse 21, who can forgive sin but God alone? No one. See, Jesus is acting as if he were God when he starts going round forgiving sin. So here's a key question. Is Jesus just a trumped up example of the rest of us? Sitting on God's throne when he has no right to be there? Or is he God? Who is this man, Jesus Christ? Well, again, who do you think he is? Well, if you've never thought about it, verse 22 gives us a hint. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Isn't that amazing? I often meet people that I think know what I'm thinking. But really, when I think about it, I know that they don't. Remember when you used to come before the headmaster? He used to think he knew what you were thinking. Jesus does know what they're thinking. Without them uttering a word, Jesus knew what the religious leaders were thinking. Who is this then who knows every thought of mine? Have you got it yet? And if we haven't got it, we can sit the little exam that Jesus sets the theologians. It won't take long. See, here were these theologians, PhDs all over the place, and so Jesus gave them a little test in verse 23. Did you see it there? He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Now, that's my kind of exam. It's a multiple choice paper. It only has one question, and there are only two possible answers, A or B. There's a 50-50 chance of passing this exam, so which is easier? Let's all sit it now, shall we? Verse 23, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to the paralysed man, get up and walk? Well, imagine the situation. Imagine there was a paralysed man before me right now. I could easily say to him, your sins are forgiven. That would be an easy thing to say because there'd be no way of checking it. You wouldn't know whether his sins were forgiven or not because we can't see sin forgiven. But if I said to the paralysed man in front of you, get up and walk, well, then you'd soon know whether I was genuine or not, wouldn't you? See, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus has just done. And so, verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a phrase Jesus uses for himself, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed, I bet they were. And they gave praise to God 
They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. They certainly had. Now you see the point at the end of the story. Jesus healed the man to prove who he was and to demonstrate to us all that he has the right to forgive sin. What an amazing miracle. Immediately, the paralysed man was up and about. In an instant, bones, muscles and tendons knitted together, working again. No need for any physiotherapy. It is an amazing miracle. And Jesus performed that miracle to prove who he was and to prove that he has authority to forgive the sin of you and me. So what do you think? Who is this man who heals the sick, who teaches like no one else, who knows what we're thinking, who forgives sins, who heals the paralytic? Who is this man? Jesus claims to be none other than God himself. And if that's true, then it gets very personal at this point. Because if that's true, then it really matters how you and I relate to him. If this is true, it would be a scandal to ignore him. So this is very serious, but it's also very good news. If it is true, and I acknowledge it, and live by it, then the most wonderful thing can happen. Just like this man, I can know my sin forgiven. Because you see, at the end of Luke's Gospel, we read what happened to Jesus, the ruler and king of this world. At the end of this uh, Gospel, Jesus is on the cross. You may have heard about it. As I come to the end of this talk, I I wonder if you would picture in your mind Jesus hanging on a cross. There is Jesus in the centre with a thief on either side. And Jesus cries out these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is going on at that moment? Isn't Jesus the Son of Man, God's ruler in God's world? How can he be God forsaken? Well, at the cross we discover how Jesus can forgive sin. You and I deserve to be God forsaken because we presume to sit in his place, on his throne. But Jesus said, I love you. I love you. I love you enough that even though you deserve the punishment of God, I'll take it. I'll take the punishment. I'll be God forsaken. Someone has to pay for that crime. Jesus says, I will. And so it is possible to become friends with God. As Jesus said to the man in our story, verse 20, friend, your sins are forgiven. See, it's possible to become friends with God, to be completely forgiven. Isn't that something? Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this morning, do you know that experience? Do you know how good it is to be forgiven? Do you know what it is to put your head on your pillow at night and know that you are totally right with God, that whatever happens, ultimately everything's okay. Whatever happens. That's what my friend Anthony came to know, my friend with MS. That's what this paralysed man came to know. And that's what you can know today. My dad came to know this about 20 years ago. And uh, just a few months after he knew this, he suffered a massive heart attack. I'll never forget the telephone call from my mum telling me that my dad had been rushed to hospital and that I should get there uh, as soon as possible. I'll never forget driving down the A1 at quite a few miles per hour over the speed limit, praying that I would get there in time and that I at least would be able to say goodbye, longing, of course, that we'd have many more years together, but at the same time knowing that ultimately everything would be okay. 
because he was forgiven. Dad had put his trust in Jesus just months before. Dad had accepted what Jesus had done for him on the cross. Well, the end of the story is that I did get there in time and Dad is still alive today and I'm profoundly grateful to the Lord that we've enjoyed so many more years with him. But with ongoing heart problems, there have been other times through his life when I've wondered if this was the last time I was going to see him. And every time it has been wonderful to know that ultimately everything's okay. That's why being forgiven is our greatest need. And only Jesus can give us that. Let me ask you this morning, do you know that experience? Do you know how good it is to be forgiven? Do you know the wonder of being right with God? If the answer to that question is not yes, then today would be a great day for you to latch on to forgiveness. To hear Jesus say to you, as he said to this man all those years ago, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there are a number here who are saying, yeah, I really don't want to put this off any longer. I want to sort these things out. And you'll see in front of you, on the rows in front of you, these cards uh, that uh, will give you an opportunity just to fill your name and address in. And uh, you'll see a little box there that says open to question. And you can tick that box. Jason mentioned it earlier. We have uh, our open to question course starting this Tuesday. Uh, Over in the church centre, I'll be there with a number of friends. We'll give you a warm welcome, a chance for you to ask any questions. Uh, We'll learn some more about the Lord Jesus. And uh, over the next weeks, we can discover together whether it really is possible to be forgiven and who Jesus is and any other questions you may have about life, the universe and everything. Well, we'd love it if you would fill in a card. Uh, We'll put a knife and fork out for you because it begins with a meal. Uh, But if you don't want to do that and just want to turn up 7.15 on Tuesday, we'll accommodate you. We'd love to see you. Thank you very much for listening. I'll stand at the door. Uh, You can give me the card on the way out or just turn up on Tuesday. And we certainly look forward to seeing you next Sunday as well. Let's turn to sing again. And our final hymn, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He's Done. We'll sing of the greatest thing that he's done in sending the Lord Jesus so that we can be forgiven. Let's stand as we sing together.